Isn't this a beautiful morning we have this morning? You may have noticed in the bulletin that we have a Logos Bible software class this coming Saturday, January the 21st. Is that right? Yeah, okay. And if you're not familiar with it, it's kind of a sophisticated Bible software. And if you have it, uh, then you're welcome to come and we'll uh, go through some of the basic things and some shortcuts. Actually, that's the state-of-the-art Bible software, and I think some of you have it. It's like having a Maserati and never taking it out of the driveway. You don't know how to use it. So that's what we're going to try to remedy. Um, also, um, you maybe have gotten your picture snapped this morning. If you didn't, uh, then you're on the list. Is that right, Sue? How long is that going to go on? Do we get them all? Okay. So, uh, see Sue. Raise your hand, Sue. See Sue, and she will get your updated information for the uh, directory and get your smiling face. Okay, let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. The opportunity to name privately to God the Father and the unconfessed sins, which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can assemble ourselves together to focus on your mighty word, to be able to stand firm for the faith, to be able to have answers to those who have questions. We're so thankful that you have given us everything we need in order to do these things and pray that you will help us focus so that we can keep our spiritual momentum moving forward, for we pray it. In Christ's name, amen. We've been in Joshua chapter 11, and what we've seen in these 11 chapters of Joshua is really a typology of what takes place, or hopefully will take place in our lives. We've seen how God was faithful to Joshua and the Israelites as they took down one satanic fortress after another that they were able to be victorious and they went into the land of Canaan and they took it. Now, the land of Canaan, some say, typifies heaven, but I don't agree with that. I think that uh, Canaan is, in typology, that place where God wants us to be while we're here still on earth. We call it around here super grace. We call it that place where... We have reached spiritual maturity where we are living the abundant life and that we are able to not be flustered and undone by our circumstances. So when they went and took Canaan, they did take it to uh, at least a degree. But we're going to see something today that they did not get. But before we do that, we're going to plug in where we left off last time with regards to our spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is not visible, it's not seen, 
doesn't mean it's not real. And we do spiritual warfare how often? Every single day. You have to be prepared, you have to be alert, and you have to be informed. Here's one thing that we recognize is that we can control what we think. We can destroy evil thinking that would be human viewpoint. And we can recognize what is true and identify what is false. That's very difficult these days because Satan is the master of deception. Especially in the time in which we live, there's so many ways that he has to deceive. And so the only way that we are going to be able to keep from being duped, being taken captive in this angelic conflict, is if we are able to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong and recognize this. And that takes some doing. It takes a commitment, if you will, on your part with regards to making God number one in your life. You can't do that apart from His Word. So we can't do this if we are indifferent towards God's Word. It was the victory that we, if we want victory, we must stay the course. I don't know if you've ever looked on your bulletins. Um, most of you, we have this on the front. That's an updated picture of the church after about four years. Finally, we got a picture on it that looks like the church. But right under it says Brenham, Texas, and then it says your attitude towards the Bible is your attitude towards God. Now, that's a stinging indictment for some. That's what it's all about is your attitude towards God. And so if you want to have the victory in a spiritual sense like the Israelites had in Canaan, then you have to change your attitude towards God's Word if it's not what it should be. I remember I told you just a couple of weeks ago, New Year's, that if you have to struggle, if you have to try to decide whether you're going to get the Word of God, whether it be coming to Bible class or turning on a computer or reading the Bible, reading notes, whatever it is, if you have to try to decide if you're going to do that or not, you're already in spiritual trouble because that should be an automatic. This is where we are plugged in to the spiritual life is through God's Word. We can be victorious through God's grace and only through God's grace. A lot of people sing amazing grace and it's a term. They're not sure what it means. I boiled it down to its bare essence. And I, when I teach the young people, I tell them, what is grace? And most of them know by now the answer that I have looking for, and that is getting something you don't deserve. That's essentially what grace is. And people, strangely enough, uh, they recoil. They, they push away from grace. Uh, everybody wants something for free until it comes to spiritual things, and then they want to work for it because they want to take credit. So we look at grace. There are six types of grace on the board. And this kind of gives a, a shotgun blast, if you will. It gives a panoramic view of what God has, His plan for each of us in His system, which is always grace. Our connection to God is grace. Grace is everything 
that God can do for us on the basis of the cross. So, first of all, we have common grace. Common grace is something that uh, God's contact with us as we are unbelievers or were unbelievers. See, an unbeliever is spiritually dead. And the gospel is spiritual phenomenon. It's spiritual in nature. So a spiritually dead person cannot understand the gospel, so God takes up the slack in making this spiritual information clear, lucid, perspicuous to an unbeliever. We have in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, that the gospel did not come just in words, but in power and form essentially illumination from the Holy Spirit. So before we are even God's children, He's already working on our behalf with regards to understanding the gospel. Then we have efficacious grace. You see, many people will try to undermine your confidence as to whether you are secure in your salvation by alleging that, you know, it's possible that you're not really saved. Uh, you might not have enough faith or you might have the wrong kind of faith. And that this efficacious grace principle blows that out of the water. Because what the Holy Spirit does for us when we believe in Jesus Christ is to take that faith and make it efficacious. That means He's the one that makes it to where it is uh, effective for eternal life, for eternal salvation. And we recognize that we don't have to worry about the kind of grace we have. Faith is non-meritorious. You can't take any credit for faith. If you could, you could get in heaven and strut about and crow about, well, look at the faith that I had in salvation when believing in Christ. I mean, I had a big emotional experience, and I cried for three days, and I gave it all up for Christ. Well, Someone may do that, but they don't have uh, any more faith or any less faith with regards to it being effective than anybody else. Because here's the thing. In faith, it's always the object of the faith that gets the credit. It gets the merit. So the reason we're saved is not because our faith when we believed in Jesus Christ was so strong, but we had the right object. It was an accurate faith because it had the right object. Now, the most faith in the world in Buddha or in Allah doesn't save anybody because it has the wrong object. Then we have logistical grace. Oh, we like logistical grace, don't we? Logistical grace is God giving you everything you need in order to fulfill His plan for you to be able to be a faithful Christian soldier. And I know you all have it, because you're all here. Well, you had to get here somehow. I see a lot of cars out there. I suppose that God gave you this transportation. Uh, some of you may have come on a bicycle, may have walked. He gave you the legs, didn't he? You're all wearing clothes. You all are breathing. You have health. All oh, this is part of logistical grace. So God gives this to all of his children. And so... No one can say, well, you know, I, I would have grown up spiritually. I would have done great things, but I just didn't have the transportation. Uh, I didn't have the intellect. I didn't have this or that. No, there's no excuses because God gives this to who? 
every believer. Now we get into another category, super grace. This is a, a type of grace that most believers are not even aware of. They don't know that there is another level in which God is trying to get us to. And this super grace is not for all believers. It's only for those who are going to try to enrich, enhance their relationship with God. See, you can believe in Jesus Christ, and you're saved. You're going to be in heaven. But you can choose to be distracted and think, well, you know, I've got my job. I have my children. I have this, that, or the other thing. And I'm going to be with God for all eternity. So I'll see you in eternity, God. In the meantime, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to... Uh, read my Bible, I'm not going to get any doctrine because after all, I'm going to be in heaven anyway. Those are the people that never reach super grace and they do not know what they're missing. Not only do they not know what they're missing, they don't know what's in store for them uh, that God has in mind for them if they don't reach spiritual maturity. Now here's the thing. When the Israelites went into Canaan, and took the land. I'm talking about the Joshua group. God was doing everything in order to get them on another level, to trust Him more, to help share His victory with them. But the first group, the Moses group, what happened to them? Oh, they got to the river. They sent the spies, and they came back, and they had a big pity party. I mean, they cried, oh, there's giants in the land. They didn't trust God for it. That's, how, like, uh, that's the way a lot of believers are. They're not interested in getting to that other level, getting that, that super grace blessings. And not only are they not going to get the blessings, but they're going to get the other side of that coin. And the other side of the coin is divine discipline. What, did, what happened to them? God said, you're not going to cross into that land. He said, you're not going to enter my rest, and you're going to go into the wilderness for 40 years. And all of them who refused to trust God, who refused to have it taken to the next level, what happened to them? Well, their bones were strewn all over the, the wilderness, all over the desert. God took them out. We sometimes call that the sin unto death. Now, the sin unto death isn't just a sin that's so bad that God takes you out. It's getting to a point to where God has tried every way to persuade you to get with it spiritually, and you refuse to do so. And the consequences of what a lot of people don't understand is that he's going to turn up the heat with divine discipline. There, These people are already making bad choices, bad decisions. And then you heap on top of that divine discipline, and you're in heap big trouble. In fact, God may just take you out. That's what he did to the Israelites, the Moses group that failed to take the land of Canaan. Again, the, the land of Canaan would be synonymous or at least uh, would typify the super grace that God wants us to have. The next part is dying grace. It's not a really uh, favorite subject of most people, but everybody here, if the Lord tarries, is going to die. And I don't know when I say that, you are going to die if the Lord doesn't come first. Now, what is it? Does that strike, strike terror in your heart? What do you think when I say that? 
Well, for some, it might be, you know, but I'm so young. I haven't even been married yet. And for some, it just strikes fear because for them, death is a leap out into darkness. They have no idea what it is. They have no confidence in what's going to take place after they die. And for some, it's comfort. And you don't have to be an old codger in order to have that. Because if you understand what God has in store for those who have, have either reached or on their way to super grace, dying is just a transition from this veil of tears. When I say veil of tears, I'm talking about this wicked, sin-strucken world. We'll be out of it. And we'll be in a place where there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sorrow. But what's going to happen before that? Some people leave that little part in between that out. Because Jesus Christ is coming back again. And I'm glad of it. He's the only one that can set this whole mess straight. Isn't that right? And when he does, he's going to give us a body that will last forever. No sickness, no coughing or hacking or anything. I say that because I've had a cough for a while. You can use whatever one you want. Whatever's affecting you. And then what? Oh, judgment seat of Christ. We are all going to stand before Jesus Christ. Now, I assume we're all believers here. I'm not sure for some because I don't know everyone here. But we will stand before Jesus Christ and He will evaluate our life. Now, if that doesn't get your attention, and we have no excuses, all the grace that He's given us, all the blessings He's given us, and what do we do with our time? Were we good and faithful servants? Did we grow up spiritually? Or did we linger over here with the logistical grace He gave us and didn't ever get to the abundant grace, the higher measure of grace? I don't know about you, but I like a lot of grace. And I need a lot of mercy. And I'm so glad that that's included in God's plan. Because even a sinner like myself can look forward to the time when there'll be no more of the things that we have to put up with on earth. But I also realize that I have to stand before Jesus Christ. And you know what, you know what he's going to look at? A lot of people are going to think, Oh, I remember when I was immoral, I had that immoral thought. I remember when I got into some kind of sexual sin, I did this. And no, what he's looking for is faithfulness. We all fall. But he's looking to those believers who are going to be faithful over the long haul. Be faithful in recognizing what this life is all about after we're saved. And it's all about growing up and being able to glorify Christ from what He does through us. And then the last one we have is super grace. By the way, the one, let's see, this is on your right, these here. ones on, on your right are only for some believers. The one on the left is for unbelievers and believers who never grow up. But I want to be on that right-hand column. How about you? God's given us everything to do it. The only thing keeping you from receiving super grace, dying grace, and surpassing grace is your own volition, your own attitude. 
I can't stress enough. If you say, oh, how I love Jesus, and I'm so close to God, and you go to this church sometimes, and I very seldom see you, save your breath because I don't believe it. Your attitude towards God's Word is your attitude towards God. And you'll never reach anything on that right-hand column if you have an indifferent, cavalier, I-can-take-it-or-leave-it attitude with regards to taking in God's Word. Surpassing grace, what makes it surpassing is that that grace lasts forever. And there are no limits. Can you imagine? If God can give us super grace, there's six categories of it. Some of you have been in that study. If he can give us this while we are still in this body of this flesh, this old, we have an old sin nature, we're in the devil's world, and right under the devil's nose, he can bless us beyond measure. What can he do when we have a resurrection body? What can he do when the Satan is no more around? He's locked up. Well, it's just surpassing. That's what it is. You decide. Every day you have to decide. Every day you're in the battle. Every day the decisions that you make are going to determine whether you're going to be victorious and have this superabundant life or whether you're going to be mediocre and complain and other things. I had to cut that one short. Okay, now... We saw how God has given us... I don't want you to see this yet. I shouldn't put that on there yet. Just a second. There you go. Okay. We saw how that we have the ability to pull down satanic strongholds. We have spiritual weapons that are divine dynamite. And we can take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Because that's where the battle is. The battle is in your soul. Now, we understood that. That's what we were going over the last... Last Sunday. Now, today we're going to switch, switch a little bit. Still, we're going to have... I'm going to be showing you something that is relevant to us in the here and now with what I've been teaching in Joshua. And that happens to be that when we studied Joshua chapter 11, I think it was around verse 23, right towards the end of the chapter, it said that they had, uh, they had rest over their enemies. And they did. That was a temporary rest. Now, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 3. And you can go there in your Bibles now if you like. We're going to go to Hebrews 3 and 4. And we're going to see how there is a connection towards the rest that the Israelites had over their enemies, which was temporary, and the rest that God offers us in the here or now, and it is connected with Joshua because in chapter 4, verse 12, no, uh, 8, I think it is. Don't, don't worry about that verse. I just want you to know. Joshua is mentioned. Joshua is mentioned with regards to this rest. Now, we're trying to tie up all the loose ends in Joshua chapter 11 so we can move on to the next uh, chapter. And we've been doing that for a month. And I don't know if we'll get through today, but uh, we'll see. 
So that's why I'm going to Hebrews 3. I want to show you the kind of rest that God has available for us. That rest, by the way, is connected in typology to the land of Canaan because when they crossed the river and took the land, then what happened was uh, they reached that higher level and they were uh, resting depending upon God. So let's see what it is now. We start with Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. Underline servant. It's an important word. For testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ, now you have, the reason you have a, a contrastive conjunction here, but, is because it's going to show that Christ was faithful, that there's a likeness with Christ in Moses, and there is a, a something that's dissimilar, that's unlike. Both of them were faithful. Moses was a faithful servant, but Christ was faithful as what? A son. See, a son has higher rank, has more authority, has more status than a servant. So this is the whole first uh, chapter and second chapter, even some here, of Hebrews is demonstrating how Christ is superior to angels. He's superior to man. He's superior above everything. So, but Christ was a faithful, faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if, and that's a third-class conditional clause. That means it's a potential. Maybe, maybe this is true and maybe it is not. If we hold fast our confession and boast of our hope firm until the end. Now, what makes this verse so important that you understand is because it would sound like when it says that Christ was faithful as a son over his house. By the way, a house is just referring to, in the, in the Greek, you look up that uh, word for oikos, and it means, it can mean a, a building, a home, but it also can mean a family a, or a group. It can mean a family or a group. So he is faithful over his house or his group, who we are, now, some would say, if we do so-and-so, if we do these things, then we will be part of God's house. In other words, we will truly be believers. We will have eternal life if we do these things. Could that be true? Well, I hope everyone here knows that what is, if, if we had one thing stamped on this church, if we had it over the door, if we had it anywhere... It would be, what, faith alone in Christ alone. That leaves out any work, any conditions. So this can't be speaking of being a believer. That you are going to be a believer, you will really have been saved if you hold fast your confidence and boast uh, of our hope firm until the end. It can't mean that. So what it really means is if we, and we follow the example. In other words, this group, this house, 
is referring to a particular group of people. Now, something that's going to show, shed some light on this is the word servant. The Greek word for servant is not the usual word expected, which is doulos. Doulos means slave. Sometimes it's translated into the English as servant. But this word is therapon, T-H-E-R-A-P-O-N. And therapon means someone who willingly and voluntarily serves. And it's someone who has a higher status than a slave. So this is talking about someone who is faithful, a particular, just like Moses was not a, a, a doulos, he was not an ordinary servant, he was a therapon. He willingly and voluntarily served. He was anxious to do his, his, uh, the bidding of our Lord. And that's what is we see here in this house, in this group that we're talking about. The term house refers to household, family, or group, which is used in verse 6 for those who are faithful. We are in that group if we hold fast our confidence. You, you understand this now? This is not easy to see in the English just at passing. So already he is setting up that you can be the one, of, one of the ones that willingly cross the Jordan River and go into Canaan. Did you, did you ever notice, I don't know if I ever even brought this out when we were uh, in Joshua, and when they got to the river, remember it was up to a mile wide and it was raging, and how were they going to get across? Do you know that no one had a cattle prod behind them? Get on, get on, get on, get on out with that didn't happen. They had to voluntarily cross that river and get into the promised land of Canaan. And it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. No one is going to prod you. No one is going to force you to cross that land. No one is going to force you to be in that group, in that elite group, which is called a house here, whereupon you're going to get super grace blessings, whereupon you're going to get the abundant life. You know, today we have a, an expression. I don't like to say it too much. I don't know if I've ever said it, but it, it, it is appropriate here. Have you ever heard someone say, well, that's a no-brainer? Well, for us to fulfill God's plan should be a no-brainer. Because on this side, we have everything that we want. Most people, when they think about what they want, it's stuff. I want a new car. I want a new house. I want a new guy. I want a new gal. I want change. Hmm, seems like I've heard that somewhere else before. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> getting that change does not necessarily make you happy, does it? And so they want all this stuff, but what they really want is confidence, security, courage. Stability, aren't those the type, isn't that what people really want? And the only way to get that is to voluntarily cross the river into, into Canaan. And for us, there's no literal river, but there is a point that you have to cross in your mind. It's your volition to say, I want that super grace life. I want the abundant life. 
I want what only God can give me. But here's the rub, is that no one gets that. No one gets this abundant life without also getting tuned in to the Bible. God's Word is connected to that. You can't anymore have that abundant life without God's Word than you can go swimming without water. Just not going to happen. Wouldn't you look silly out there floundering around on dry ground? Well, that's what people, that's what believers look like. They're out there. They haven't made that volitional choice to cross the river. And they're over there trying to have swim. All they're trying to have, they're going to backstroke and they're going to do that, what is it, butterfly? Tried that one time and nearly drowned. <laughs> they're out there doing all these things, trying to get some, something that is worthwhile. And God says, no, here it is over here. You let me take care of that. So all this is on one side, all the good things. It's a carrot and stick type thing. That's the carrot. What most people miss is the stick. I don't mean that they miss it, it doesn't happen. I mean, they don't know about it. I think sometimes even Bible churches are a little lax on showing the other side of the coin, the stick. What happened to the Israelites who didn't cross the river? They did not voluntarily go. God says, all right, every one of you. How would you like to wander around for 40 years? Of course, all of them didn't make 40 years, but how would you like to wander around? You didn't, I don't know where all they went, but essentially they went everywhere that uh, in circles, essentially. And you knew you were going to die. Your, the end of your road was just out there in futility. And you knew that right over the river that you didn't choose to go across was the land of milk and honey. But you were a gutless wonder. I'm sorry, gals. I just have to use the terms that I've heard growing up. I don't know how many times I've heard football coaches say that. You hit like a sissy, you gutless wonder. That's what I'm used to. So I have to try to tone it down. I don't know. So do you want to be in that house? Then you have to be willing to cross the river. And crossing the river is recognizing that your whole time on earth isn't about your family. It's not about stuff. It's about glorifying Christ. You can't do that in spiritual ignorance. Now, verse 7 through 11. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, and by the way, this is quoting Psalm 95, 7 through 11. I think that's pretty neat. We're looking at Hebrews 3, 7 through 11, and it's quoting Psalm 95, 7 through 11. I guess you, if you read this in a 7-11, you really have a consequence there. Do they have 7-11s anymore? Okay. Uh, forget that. Let's press on. <laughs> uh, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, and that if is a third-class conditional clause again. In fact, all these ifs, are, they're just a potential because being able to live that abundant life, that super-grace life, the dying grace, the surpassing grace, all that is only a potential. It's not a reality. It depends upon you to make it a reality. If you want to make a reality, then God will see to it that it will happen. 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. So who is he talking about? The Exodus generation who did not cross the river, would not do it. Where your fathers tried me and tested me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. That's not the mind. That's the cardia. That's the dominant portion of your soul. That's where you always go wrong, first of all, is in your heart. And that's because your heart and my heart is desperately wicked. That's right. I said it. And it needs overhaul. And they did not know my ways. You hear that? Knowing? They didn't know his ways. Think about it. The Exodus generation, they saw God in Egypt with the ten plagues, the ten things that he had done, his faithfulness. These are the ones that crossed the Red Sea. These are the ones that had manna from heaven. These are the ones that saw water come out of the rock. These are the ones whose clothes did not wear out. And yet when they got to the river, they said, no. Because they did not know his ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. My rest. Do you want God's rest? Well, it would be nice to know what it is, isn't it? Let's look. Point number one, under what is God's rest? It's an RMA. That's a relaxed mental attitude. Most of you look pretty relaxed right now. A couple of you look like a little too relaxed. Uh, Well, it's easy to be relaxed in church, well, for some. But what I mean is you're not under the pressure that you're going to be under. Pressure is headed our way, folks. It's right around the corner. It's staring us right in the face. You want to be relaxed during that? You want to, That's part of God's rest. Number two, it's being free of mental attitude sins. Worry, fear, anger, and a whole host of others. We've got a sin list in our library. Guess which, which there's, there are... Middle attitude sins, verbal sins, and overt sins. Guess which one has twice as many as the other? Which category? Middle attitude sins. Because you think it before you do it. You think it before you say it. That doesn't mean that you always think before you speak, though. Wouldn't you like to be free of worry? Huh? Isn't that a, a, just an ongoing nagging nemesis that we all face? Number three, it's an attitude of contentment regardless of circumstances. When someone comes up and says, hey, how are you doing today? And you go into your mind and you start thinking, well, let's see. Uh, I had breakfast. I burned a toast, but that's okay. That's not so bad. On the way to work or the way to school, it was okay. Um, I have my homework ready. I have my... Uh, 
my work plan for the day. I would say I have a good day. If you go through an analysis in your mind, I know most of you don't do that. You just, how are you doing? How's your day? What is the work? Fine. I think that's the most used word in a teenager's vocabulary. Everything is fine. Did you have a good time? Yes. It was fine. How you feel? Fine. How you doing? Fine. We don't have to evaluate our circumstances in order to tell someone we have, we're having a good day. Why? Because your, heaven, your, your, your future is secure. You're going to heaven. If you're a believer, faith alone in Christ alone. And God has given, given you the opportunity to get that higher level. Getting to that higher level doesn't mean that there's not going to be adverse circumstances in your life, but it means that your happiness does not depend on them. If we had, I don't know who's having the worst day today, but there are probably people in here that are struggling with circumstances. And what I'm telling you, and by the way, those who aren't struggling with circumstances today, just wait till tomorrow. The good news that I'm telling you is your happiness, your contentment, your security, your confidence, your courage, none of that depends upon your circumstances. It depends upon whether you choose to enter God's rest or not. You make the decision. So you can be free of being a slave to your circumstances with regards to your contentment and happiness. Number four, it's a sense of security based on the faithfulness of God. The reason you're secure isn't because how much money you have in the bank. It's not because of the good things that's happening in your life. You're secure because God is faithful. You already have His logistical grace. He's going to give you all that, but He wants more for you. And if you ignore that... See, here's the thing. People think they can ignore God. Can you imagine the audacity that God has this plan... He's done everything to make it happen. He's offered it to you. It's in, your, in His Word. And you say, no, no, I'm not interested. In fact, just don't bother me. Listen, God's going to do more than bother. He will make your life a living hell, miserable. You'll be confused. You'll be angry. And not know what hits you. And if you remain arrogant towards him, he will take you out. That's what he did to the Israelites. And there were a bunch of them. Number five, it's confidence based on God's promises. That's what we're talking about, faith rest. That's what we call it around here, faith rest. Why? Because it's taking the promises of God, it's taking the things that God says that he will do for those who trust him and simply believing it. Do you know why the people didn't cross the river? And you're going to see, not today, but next time, more in Hebrews 3 and 4. you know what you're going to see more and more of? The reason that people have this calamity on their life is simple. They simply don't believe it. And I'm talking about believers. So you can believe in Jesus Christ and get the salvation package, but that doesn't mean that you're going to believe any of the rest of it. 
You have to believe that God's promises are true. You want to go to the heights? You want to get in that next level? You want to live the abundant life? You want to get out of the doldrums and the mediocre things that just have no, no meaning to them? Then what you need to do is cross the river. You need to believe God's promises. Number six, I know this is trite, but it's really true. It's letting go and letting God. You ever heard that before? What it means is you let go of your problems. You have problems? I got problems? All God's children's got problems, don't they? Huh? We all have problems. But here's the thing. When you're in that higher level, when you're in that super grace status, whatever your problems are, they're not weighing you down. You don't have to call your friend and just dump all your issues on them. Why? Because you've already done that. Only you didn't dump them on your friend. You dumped them on God. And He wants them. Let me tell you, your friends don't want them. They got issues of their own. Isn't that great? Here we have the God of the universe, all-powerful, omniscient, full of grace and mercy, saying, give me your problems. Let me show you what I can do. I will show you great and mighty things. No, I don't think so. I think I'll go with my friend over here who doesn't have the time, the inclination, and will maybe tolerate you dumping on them. And then as soon as they hang up, if you're on the phone, <sighs> glad that's over. But they won't tell you that. Now, now, everything will be all right. It won't if you're not willing to cross that river. How do you cross the river? You cross the river by deciding you're going to trust God. See, all these things that I'm saying is it can hit a brick wall if you're thinking, well, that's just a preacher. That's what he's supposed to say. If it's not really important to you, if, if your life is nothing more than the physical, the things you can see and the things you can do, and the things you can eat, if that's what it all is, well, you'll never reach that abundant life. But here's what I'm telling you. You're going to miss out. By the way, they say that's the most, that is the most powerful selling technique there is. I was in the sold dog home, homes for 10 years, and I had some sales training. And you tell somebody they're going to miss out, oh, I'm ready to buy. I don't want to miss out. They don't want anybody to think, I guess I don't know what it is. Um, they don't want anybody to have something that they're going to miss out on. And I'm telling you, you're going to miss out. Not only are you going to miss out, uh, you're going to like the other side uh, much less. Carrot and stick. So you can, it's your choice. If you want to carry the load, God will let you. Most people can't carry it alone, though. They're going to sublimate. They're going to seek all kinds of things. I'm just wondering where I should go to the next thing. I don't think I will. Ooh, I think I will. <laughs> oh. Okay, we'll just go to the top part. Okay, 
because I've got three minutes. And I'm not bound by that clock anyway. Okay. Whoop. I hit I hit a wrong button. We're going all haywire here. Wait a minute. Maybe I shouldn't go to it after all. <laughs> okay, here it is. Just point we're just gonna look at verse twelve, okay? Verse 11 said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And now we looked at what God's rest is, if you want it or not. Now, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there be, that there not be any one of you with an evil, unbelieving heart. We would just say no faith rest there. That falls away from the living God. Now, notice these are believers. We're talking about someone who has an evil, unbelieving heart and falls away from the living God. Some people say, no, no, that cannot be a believer. That's the way an unbeliever acts. Well, that's the way most believers act. Look in your Bibles at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Since I'm going to make a point of it, I've got to go there too. It's not on my slide. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. This is... This will demonstrate that he is definitely talking to believers. Look what he said. Therefore, what? Holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest and so forth. So he is talking to believers. Don't buy into the idea that you can trust a believer because they're a believer. Some of the worst scoundrels you'll ever meet are Christians. Now, does this suggest that they can lose their salvation? But they can doesn't it doesn't suggest it, but does demonstrate that they can come under God's divine discipline. Now, see, for some of you saying that you fall under divine discipline. It's no big deal because you had parents that would uh, give you a time out. My dad did not know what a time out was. I wish he did. And he used a belt. Woo! And you know what? I am so glad he did. I wasn't glad during the time. He knew how to use it, too, let me tell you. <laughs> I have my brother George back there. He felt that same belt. George, are you glad he did? Yeah, he's taking you. Divine discipline is not pleasant. It's, it's bad enough when you're not moving forward in your spiritual life. When you let things distract you and come into your life and you forget to pray, you forget to thank God about just a beautiful morning like we had today. You forget to be in touch with Him. I've been there. The first thing that enters my mind is, What's the purpose? What is life even about? 
Well, it is nothing. It's not about anything if you're leaving God out. You're gonna. It, it's just. It's nothing. And then you get plugged back into the Word, and you remember, oh yeah, this is about glorifying God. Oh yeah, I got to get with it. I want to cross the river. I want the super grace. I want the abundant life. I want everything that God has. I don't want to let my circumstances lead me around like with a ring in my nose. I don't want to be a slave to my circumstances. I want someone that can not only hear my problems, I want somebody that can do something about it. Does it sound like I'm trying to sell you on something? I am. I'm trying to persuade you. Because what we saw in Joshua was just the tip of the iceberg. That was the physical, but what we go through is on a higher level because it's spiritual. You cross that river and you're on your way when you decide you want it, and the only way that you can get it is to plug into God's Word and trust God and watch mighty things happen. I'd like everyone to please bow your heads now. The reason I ask you to bow your heads is because I want there to be no distractions. I want there to be total privacy in every soul. And if you're new here, don't worry. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand or walk an aisle. That's not the issue. The issue is, if you are here and you are not sure that you are a child of God, you're worried about what's going to happen to you if you die or when you die, the good news is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who went to the cross and died for your sins. He was buried, He was resurrected, and now offers eternal life to you or anyone else who will simply receive the free gift of salvation by believing in Christ and His atonement. Now, there may be others here that feel a little tinge, a little conviction with regards to uh, crossing the river. I'm talking to believers now. Those who know that their spiritual life and their relationship with God is not what it should be. You don't have to come down here and rededicate your life. All you have to do is get with it. You can start today in growing in grace and knowledge. Going for the prize. And you have God's guarantee that you will make it because it doesn't depend upon you. It depends upon Him. The only thing that you add is your positive volition. Your choice to do so. Now, Father, we're so thankful that You are our God, a God of grace and mercy, and that You have so much that You offer us. But we cannot receive it in spiritual ignorance. So we pray that You will help us to recognize how important it is to maintain our spiritual momentum by continuing to feed upon that heavenly manna that we so desperately need. We thank You for providing it, and for giving us the chance to glorify You through what You do for us and through us. And we pray this all in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.